Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The Son, our King Jesus. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than them. We thank you, Lord, for this glorious day when we uh, come together as a church and worship you in spirit and in truth. We're so grateful that uh, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for every blessing we have in Christ, especially the incarnation and and, and the work that Christ did uh, to secure our salvation, save us from our sin, and, and unite us uh, with you, Father. We praise you with all things, and we just pray that our worship would truly be uh, wonderful, a wonderful aroma lifting up to you, Lord. And now let's pray those words that our Savior taught us to pray. Our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Here are three forms of unity in the pew. should be in front of you. We are on Lord's Day number 52. We've got uh, three questions. I will speak the bold print, and then if uh, we all would answer in the not bold print, in the regular print. And that is on page 48, and it's the last day, day 52. Uh, of the Heidelberg Catechism. Number 127. What is the sixth petition? Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves, that we cannot stand a moment, and besides our deadly enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, assail us without ceasing. Be pleased to preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may be a firm against them, and not be overcome in this spiritual warfare. 
complete victory is ours. How do you close this prayer? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That is, all of this we ask of you, because as our king, having power over all things, you are willing and able to give us all good, and that thereby not we, but your holy name may be glorified forever. What is the meaning of the word, Amen? Amen means, shall it truly and surely be, for my prayer is much more certainly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of him. So the sixth petition here is uh, uh, is given, and very well tells us that uh, that we need to trust fully in Christ that He would keep us from from sin and and Satan and and the flesh and the devil and the world. Uh, this is not something that that we're capable of doing in our own power. This is a supernatural act. We are, we are weak in our flesh. And Christ is strong to save. And His Holy Spirit works in His people. And then we, we rightfully close the, the prayer of how? Recalling God's great power and majesty and glory. This is what we need to be meditating upon every day, everywhere we go. Christ's goodness, His power, how He, how he delivers us from sin and, and Satan and hell. And just how glorious He is in all His splendor. And, and we end by saying Amen, which is not just a, a throwaway word, but that is, is like our oath saying, Yes, Lord, this is, this is what we want to do as You empower us. This, this is not a bunch of empty words. We don't, we don't say the Lord's Prayer uh, during the service and, and, and just uh, uh, not think about what we're saying, but we, we consider all that Christ has done for us. We consider our sin and misery and our desperate need for Christ and His goodness. And then we punctuate it with a hearty Amen. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's how uh, the Catechism ends, Ephesians 3, 20, 21. So now let's read our first scripture reading of the day. Isaiah 9, if I can find it. Oh, open that up in your pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 9. This is, of course, a familiar passage of Scripture. Not just for this time of year, but as I've been saying as we're going through Mark, there's going to be a lot of Isaiah from the Old Testament that's going through the book of Mark. They go, to, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. So we're on page 573 of your pew Bible. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for who who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us go to the Lord in prayer after we do the Apostles' Creed. That is also in your three forms of unity, if you're not familiar with it, and in the back of your, of your bulletin. Congregation, what is it we believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts you give us every day. You are generous, Lord, and, and we are not worthy of every blessing you give us, but still you lavish your children uh, with, with all we need. You heal our bodies. Uh, you bless us uh, materially. You bless us with family, friends, with the church. Uh, and, and you give us all things that we, that we need all the time. There, there's never a time when, when you don't provide for us. Truly, uh, when we ask for you for our daily bread, you give us our daily bread and, and so much more. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for every good gift. We praise your, you, Father, for, for your good word, for you uh, begetting Jesus from all eternity. We praise you, Jesus, that, that you are the one who came in the flesh and, and died on the cross for our sins. And, and, and that we are saved through your work on the cross and, and, and we have your righteousness, Lord. You who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in you. How wonderful, Lord. And we praise you that, that from both you proceeds the Holy Spirit and, and this Holy Spirit works in us, uh, rebirths us, gives us faith and, and regeneration and, and causes us to grow in our faith daily. It is truly a, a, a wonderful triune work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just praise you for that every moment of every day. Truly we are uh, powerless until you 
until You save us. And we just pray, Lord, that You would continue to work in our church, continue to to bless uh, every one of us as You do. We, We pray that You would be with those who are are sick and couldn't make it, Lord, the the shut-ins and those who are not feeling well. Please bless them and heal them. Uh, Be with our our beloved Pastor Lee. Bless him. You have done so much work in him and you're going to do so much more. We praise you for what you are going to do and how you're going to bless him and and how one day he will preach again. We're so thankful, Lord, for, for your every blessing. Uh, you've brought him and his family and are going to continue to do. We pray that you are with the elders and deacons and uh, and just all of us, Lord, that we would bless and serve and love one another, Lord. We do pray that you, you do work healing in, in all the people in the, in, in the congregation, in our families and friends and neighbors uh, that, that aren't mentioned here. It is not too much for you to, to heal everyone if that is your will. But we know sin, Lord, has come into this world through us, through our father Adam, and and that we get sick and and we do die. And even in death, Lord, it it reunites us with you. What a blessing it is, even as we consider our our eternity, Lord, and and that one day we're going to die. None of us is guaranteed that we're even going to make it through the service or make it home today. But we know we're always in your care. We're in your hand. And and we will be with you, whatever happens. And while it it is sad for for those left uh, behind, even they can look and, and glory and, and, and be have a godly jealousy that 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 we are with you if we pass and and, and they can uh, rejoice in, in that truth, in that bedrock truth of our faith. Oh, we love you, Lord. And we pray that you would be not just with St. John's, but with all the faithful churches of Christ that call upon your name. Whether they be RCUS churches or other churches, Lord, bless them. Uh, cause, cause them to truly uh, make your name great, that people would flock to them because of, of what you're doing through them. We pray that you're with Heidelberg Seminary and all the faithful seminaries and their pastors uh, and professors and their students. Bless them, grow them, watch over them, that godly men may be brought up to serve your as your under-shepherds. Lord, we pray that you're with our nation, that you're with our, our leaders and that you would cause them to, to trust in you and you alone for, for everything, Lord, that you would turn them away from from any wickedness, and uh, whether you do this through their salvation or through other means, Lord. Um, please uh, cause our leaders to love you, whether they be federal, state, local. And Lord, I pray that you, you bless our nation with repentance and faith and that we would be a, once again a shining city on a hill, drawing people to you. And just be with all the... Uh, the missionaries, the persecuted church all over the world. They know they can they can look to you and, and you are their rock. They know that they serve a suffering Savior and, and we should all expect persecution, Lord. Jesus told us that 
that if they, they hated Him, they're, they're going to hate us. Yet we still, Lord, know that You, you seek for us to, to pray for the lost and to pray for, uh, pray for those persecuting us, Lord. Please turn their stony hearts to flesh and bless the persecuted church wherever it's at, whether it's in Cuba, China, the Middle East, Canada, wherever it might be, Lord. We know that uh, times grow dark and, and, and we just pray that you would bless the nations with your Son. And they would kiss the Son, lest he be angry, Lord. Cause the nations to turn to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you're with the rest of our worship today. That we will worship you in spirit and truth and bless one another and glorify you. And we pray this in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. We are continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark. And we're in chapter 2 today, the very beginning of chapter 2. There's so much going on here. This really could be an hour and a half sermon, but it won't be. <laughs> there are so many firsts and things going on here. Um, it is page 837 in your, in your pew Bible. Um, we had read at the end of chapter 1, Jesus had cleansed the leper. And in a great exchange, the leper was now able to go into the very temple of God and, and get cleansed, uh, or he already was cleansed, but get approval from the priest. Whereas Jesus was banished to the wilderness. So in effect, that was a great exchange, a picture of the great exchange where Christ has taken our sin and we are given his righteousness. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I just love that verse. You hear me quote it all the time. And I'm not sorry for that. But uh, um, we are on page 837 in your pew Bible. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man blaspheme? Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for your uh, power over Satan and sin and sickness. 
that you demonstrate here. We pray that your spirit would lead us into all truth. We pray this in your son's name. So, this is truly an account of, of Christ's power over Satan, sin, and sickness. Uh, that's, that's first and foremost. Um, and we see that, that Jesus now is able to come back into town. It's been some time, which we, we take to be at least a few weeks, maybe a month or two, and he's able to, to come back without being uh, completely overwhelmed by people necessarily, although we, we see that that is very short-lived. We see that he's, he goes into Capernaum, and it says that he goes uh, he, that he was at home, and we think this is probably probably Peter's house again. Um, and it's not long before the crowds come. So Luke tells us that scribes and well tells us that Pharisees came from all over the different regions, even from even from Jerusalem. So. It seems that this is a, a, a crowd that, don't know if it's mostly made up of Pharisees, it's certainly made up of quite a few Pharisees. And the scribes are a subset of the Pharisees. And this is the, the first real look we get at these, at these folks, the, the major religious group in, in uh, Judah at this time is, is the Pharisees, and they're a very strict sect, uh, holding the you know, separation from uh, from the Gentiles and, and just from anything that would make them uh, unclean, even t- even many times just just their own Jewish uh, regular Jewish people. You know that they would think are beneath them. So they are there, and the reason I think it might be uh, mostly Pharisees and scribes there is is you don't read of any healing going on yet. Jesus is just preaching. And, of course, that's why Jesus came to preach, but yet he didn't turn down folks that came to him seeking healing. Or if they were demon-possessed or whatever. It was his custom to, to, to heal people. And we don't get the picture here that there's a lot of healing going on as of yet. And he is preaching the word. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know, he's telling the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, the kingdom of God is here. You need to repent and trust in trust in me. You know, he's, he's quoting to them what, what we've been reading in Isaiah the last few times I've been here and, and other prophecies from the Psalms and, and, and even from uh, Moses and, and, and the other prophets. And he's preaching to them the word. And yet we, we know that... Uh, that these four men were carrying this paralytic on a mat. He wasn't able to, to move himself, and it took four men to bring him to Jesus. And these men could not get to Jesus. They couldn't even get to the door, it says. It was so crowded that uh, uh, couldn't even get near him because the crowd, they removed the remove roof above him, and then they let down the bed with the paralytic on it right in front of Christ. Now, this is a pretty crazy scene, of course. I mean, this is, uh, you know, all the, all the houses in Jerusalem, they'd have been tightly packed together or in, the, in Capernaum. 
they're generally kind of like tightly packed next to each other. So even if you couldn't uh, uh, get on this house from a stairwell, you could go to the house next to it and 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 get on the roof of uh, Peter's house from there. And and we know that uh, Luke tells us they're they're taking the tiles away. They're really digging down. So they've got the, the thatch and the mud keeping it together, falling on them, um, <clears throat> creating quite a mess. And uh, you can imagine uh, it's not making Peter happy. Some insurance agent probably isn't too excited. Um, and uh, Jesus is probably not too phased. It doesn't seem like he's phased with this, but it sure does create room for the paralytic to be let down right in front of Jesus. These guys knew what they were doing when they were tearing apart the roof and destroying it. And as he's let down, what does Jesus do? You would think his first instinct would, of course, be to see this man in his distress. Uh, I would probably kind of say, you know, I'm a mess. I, I can't do anything now. Look at me. I got... I got mud all over me, thatch all over me. What what are you doing? But that's that's not how Jesus reacts. And in fact, Jesus doesn't look at the man and, and heal him. He says to him, Well, he actually he does heal him. He heals him in the greatest possible way he can heal someone. He looks at him and says, My son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees the faith of the five men. The four men who took the paralytic and then obviously the paralytic who agreed to this. And this is the first mention of faith that we have in the Gospel of Mark. And faith is is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I wish we had time to go deeper into just the very idea of faith, but... Uh, but time limits us because there's so many other amazing things in this passage. Uh, the Heidelberg question 21 tells us true faith is not only a sure knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also a hearty trust which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that not only to others, but to me also forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was working into the paralytic, and and Jesus sees this, and he responds to this, and, and tells him, your sins are forgiven. And then that faith is able to apprehend all the wonder of Jesus. He reaches into his core, into his deepest being, Jesus did, and, 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 and forgave him his sins. Yet, as, as we've said before, no good deed goes unpunished. The scribes are there, and they're not saying anything. Just in their head, they're murmuring that, that who is this? You know, what what does this guy think he's doing? Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. 
Only God can forgive sins. And you know what? The reasoning, as far as it went, was it completely wrong until the very end. It is true. Only God can forgive sins. And for the kind of philosophy nerds out there, this is kind of a syllogism, kind of a reasoning tool. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is therefore claiming to be God by saying your sins are forgiven, and therefore Jesus is blaspheming. That's what they think. That's their line of reasoning. But that's not the truth. That's only what their closed hearts and minds, their blind eyes can figure out. Then only God can forgive sins. But what they don't know is who is in front of them. And so, Jesus, perceiving in the Spirit that they question within themselves, said to them, well, first off, what, who can perceive other people's thoughts? Can anyone do that? No, that's an act of God, my friends. And this wasn't just because he could see the, the looks on their faces and their confusion or their anger or whatever it is. You know, Matthew kind of paints a picture of, he's, he's really able to picture their, see their thoughts. I mean, he is man, he is God. And he knows what they're thinking. Which can be scary for us, too. I'm, I'm glad uh, my thoughts aren't put down in Scripture. Um, but Jesus was not a respecter of, of people and their, and their thoughts in the sense that uh, he was a respecter of those that uh, uh, that were fleshly and not thinking spiritually. We know John says, chapter 2, 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about, about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And that was right before Jesus went to go see Nicodemus. And so, we have kind of a, a parallel there. In fact, maybe, maybe Nicodemus is in this crowd of Pharisees and, and scribes in Peter's house. We don't know. But Jesus questions the scribes. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk? I mean, think about it. What's, well, it's obviously easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? That's easy to say. And it's actually easy to say, take up your mat and walk too. But you can prove the ability to heal, right? Because if the guy gets up and walks, then, then you've healed him. 
But the forgiveness of sins, I mean, that's something you can't internally see of someone. You can't tell if someone has forgiven you of sins. But in fact, it is, of course, the greater of the two is the forgiveness of sins. We're going to die. That's just going to happen, friends. We're going to get sick, and we're going to die. So, even if, if, if we have a, a great healing miracle, which we pray for every day, we pray for our friends and relatives to be healed. Even if we have that great healing miracle, we know that's not forever. You know, we're, we're still going to we're still going to die. But forgiveness of sin means we never really die, doesn't it? We are saved, ultimately, from the penalty of death, Satan, and sin. And so, when he asks this question, he turns this their syllogism, their, their reasoning device, right back on their heads. And he heals the man and proves that he has the power. He has the authority to forgive sins. He is the Son of Man. And that's not something to be overlooked either. That could be a whole sermon series in and of itself. We read in Daniel who this Son of Man is. In Daniel chapter 7, and this should sound very familiar. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one, which shall not be destroyed. You know, we, Jesus is saying, <laughs> I'm the one Daniel's talking about, the one that you're going to see coming on the clouds, and he'll repeat this before the priest in the Sanhedrin at the end of his ministry. He will be that one coming in the clouds and then having dominion over all nations. He, basically, the Great Commission at the end of his life is, is, is just a recitation of what Daniel spoke in chapter 7. So he is, he is claiming the power and authority that the scribes and Pharisees wished they had, that they, they thought they had. Because this is a power struggle. That is what's going on. Satan has stopped attacking Jesus straight on. You know, he tempted him in the wilderness. And then he sent all his demoniacs before Jesus. And and Jesus and they're and they're calling Jesus by name. They're claim, they're trying to have authority over Jesus. And Jesus just swaps them away like a bunch of flies. So Satan is, isn't doing the direct approach anymore. He says, "I'm going to work in a different means here. I'm going underground. I'm going to use the religious leaders of the day to do my dirty work." And they just cannot stand against Christ. This healing is a testimony against them. If they refuse to believe this, and every indication is that most of them here refused 
to believe that Christ is God, that He is the Savior, that He is the Messiah that's been foretold. So Jesus, He finishes, Why do you question these things in your heart? When it's easier to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And that's exactly what the paralytic did. Stood up, picked up his bed, and walked out. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. And we do need to to mention that uh, the paralytic is healed. That's a a wonderful gift of God. A blessing. And you can bet that the people around the paralytic were probably saying, this man is paralyzed because of some great sin. Now be sure that, uh, that all sickness and infirmity and disease is, is because of sin. There's no doubt about that. Sin is the reason why we, we get colds, why we get broken legs, and, and why we die. That's because of, of Adam, our, our first father. Because of his sin, we, we do get sick, we do die. That is a result of the curse. But we have no reason to believe that that this man's sickness had anything to do with any personal sin. And yet we know that Christ still knew that the, the deepest recesses of this man's soul he needed he needed forgiveness, not just healing, picking up his mat and walking, but he needed forgiveness. And the people were stunned. This is just not the kind of thing that you see every day. I've never seen it myself. It just must have been something that blew people's minds. So what do we what do we do with this? How do we put our faith into practice? What do we do with this story, this great account of Christ? and His great work. Well, number one, we need to know that our faith, it pleases Christ. Even as imperfect as it is, every, every wonderful thing we do is still tainted with sin. We're, that's just the way we are. Yet, like a wonderful dad and father, He, he blesses us even, even in our most meager attempts at pleasing Him. God is pleased by our faith, by our, our works that we do to help people. We need to, we need to practice our faith, praise Christ for it every day. And we need to seek forgiveness, number two, and dwell. Dwell on what He has done, His atoning work, His, His reconciling us to the Father through the blood of His redemption. That's ultimately what this is about. This is Christ is our high priest who is interceding for us before the Father. Every day we need to go to God and 
We need to go to Christ and say, please forgive me. I've sinned. Now, I know we've all done that today. I probably did it ten times before I came to church this morning. I need Christ's forgiveness every every morning. I need His mercies. Great is His thankfulness day after day. And we need to be thankful for His great work. And we need to also, if we've never trusted in Christ, if we've never sought that forgiveness, we need to do it. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to turn our, our stony heart to flesh. To give us faith and repentance and, and, and save us from our sin and misery. And number three, a very practical application here is, is, is we bring our friends to see Christ, right? These four guys so loved their buddy who was paralyzed. You know, who knows? Maybe he was close to death and they bring him to Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't just heal him, but he, he touched his deepest need. He, he saved him from sin and misery. And, and that's what we need to do with our friends. We need to bring them to Jesus. We need to tell them the glorious gospel of Christ and our hope in Him. And we can't make them believe, but we can display Christ for them. Either personally, hopefully, uh, but also by bringing them before the congregation and that they would hear the gospel of Christ and what he has done. And then, you've got to have some homework here because this, this, there was so much stuff going on here. It could have taken forever. But we, are, uh, but we can learn a lot in 30 minutes. Our homework is to, is to deep dive deep into what faith is. I, I didn't read out of the Belgic Confession. It has some some wonderful words about what true faith is. We need, we need to study Christ's claim to divinity. He's got uh, some claims here. He proves that He is God Almighty by His uh, healing and, and being able to forgive sins and calling Himself the Son of Man. We need to study these things about the Pharisees and the scribes and, and this, this great altercation that is just starting now. This is the beginning of man's altercation with Christ. In his ministry, and then we, we need to we need to look into forgiveness, ultimate forgiveness, and also between brothers and sisters, and uh, and just reconciling between us and the Father, and with one another. Amen. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the great gift of Christ and His power over all evil. And we just pray that you would cause us, Lord, to love you with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. Grow us in our faith and and just make us people after your own heart. And I pray this in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.